in a new life, would you all please stand for the scripture reading? We're reading Psalm 84, verse 1. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may have her young, a place for your altar, Lord Almighty, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. Hear my prayer, O Lord. God Almighty, listen to me. God of Jacob, look on our shield. O God, look with favor on your anointed one, because better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk is blameless. Lord Almighty, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Amen. Amen. Would you remain standing as we pray? Lord, we want to be in this place of yours, this place near your altar, this place where your presence is, and that is wonderful to us. Lord, would you increase our desire for you this morning as we look at this psalm? We pray in your name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and God's people shouted, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. This is Psalm 84, one of my favorite psalms. The psalms teach us the language of faith. We're in a very long sermon series because of the book of Psalms is the biggest book. And it is this wonderful place where the psalms will teach us the language of our faith. I have a little baby. He's one years old. He's just learning how to walk. He's learning how to talk. And he will say back little phrases sometimes if he feels like it. And that's how a child learns language by repeating back these little phrases and these little noises. And I would argue that this is how we, as the people of God, learn the language of our faith by learning psalms, by learning prayers like this psalm, Psalm 84. I have have this interesting thing to share with you. I've been thinking about it since we started this series, and it just keeps coming back to my mind of like how wonderful this is in our history as Christians, as the church. But every bishop, so there's bishops in the early church history from like the the zeros, like when Christ came and and the church started. And then a bishop would be this leader over the city. So bishops would uh, come through the ranks, be be a pastor of a church, and then then their church would grow and maybe they would oversee a couple different churches. And if if, if a person, a pastor oversaw a city, they'd be called a bishop. And one of the requirements uh, in the early church till like the fifth century was that a bishop had to have memorized. Are you listening to this for just a second? Had to have memorized all of the Psalms. How many Psalms are there? 150. So they, a bishop, so if you think about any of the bishops, if you know a little bit about church history, any bishop, if they were called a bishop before the year 500, 600, they would have had memorized, just as a part of their life and prayer, memorized all 150 psalms. 
What? Are you kidding? Like, this is, wow. And back then it was part of necessity. I mean, if you had a book, uh, this was before the printing press. The printing press was 1400s. If you had a book, any book, it was handwritten. So books were very expensive. And so if you wanted to, to know something, you couldn't just, you know, you didn't have books like we do now. You couldn't just go to your own house and have books. Books were reserved for very special places, very special things. If you wanted that inside, if you want to be able to turn to it, you couldn't just pull out your phone. You had to have it memorized. Part of it was necessity. Part of it was just like, wow, they had these Psalms in them. These formers of the church, these people who formed the church for us, they had the Psalms memorized. Psalms like this one, Psalm 84. If you have a Bible, turn to Psalm 84. We're going to be in it all of this morning as we talk about a heart being captured and for, for God. So the first point here is Psalm 84 captures a heart. So it's like a photograph of what our heart looks like when we desire God. Psalm 84 captures a heart desiring God. God. And it starts off with this little phrase, even before verse one, it has some notations for us. It says, for the director of music, according to Gittith of the sons of Korah, a psalm. And we think Gittith is a, an instrument, some sort of harped instrument. And it's, it's, this psalm was a song, just like all the psalms were. And we have no idea what a Gittith is. No one has one anymore. These are ancient uh, worship musical instruments. No one has any idea living today. God does, but no one today living has any idea what this song would have sounded like. But it was written by the sons of Korah, this family of... Uh, of musicians, these sons of this, this guy named Korah, and I imagine it was something like the Von Trapp family, or if this helps you, the Hanson brothers, very musically talented individuals that wrote a bunch of songs, and 11 of our 150 psalms are written by these guys, the sons of Korah, these very talented musicians and lyric writers, because they write this, listen to it, how lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty, and listen to verse 2, my soul yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord. Lord, my heart and flesh cry out for the living God. And this, then this image of birds, even the sparrow has found a home, the swallow a nest for herself, where she may have her young, a place near your altar. Lord Almighty, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Think about this, the place where God is. If you know theology, if you study theology, there's something called omnipresence, which means that God is Everywhere. We, we know this. We know that God doesn't live. So, uh, Acts 7 says God does not live in temples made by hands. God doesn't actually live in these places. But there's something metaphorical, something mysterious about actual places where people come to worship. Now, someone could say, oh, because God is everywhere, then why do I need to go to church? Why can't I just go to McDonald's and get my, uh, you know, what do you get at McDonald's for breakfast? The, 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 <laughs> the sausage McMuffin. Why can't I just go to McDonald's with my sausage McMuffin if God really is everywhere? Isn't the church everywhere? And to that, we would say, well, there are these special places in worship. There are these wonderful places in our life. Think about every memory, every wonderful, good memory you have is connected with 
the place. Think about the best Christmas memory you have of going downstairs or upstairs and finding the presents and having a meal with your family. Like that happened in a place. And every one of you is probably like, yeah, I remember that place in my mind. Think about for those of you that are married, the place where you got married. For those of you that are uh, engaged or married, think about the place you were engaged in. Think about the place you were when you heard wonderful news in your life. Think about the place you were uh, in, in a religious sense, think about the place you were when you gave your life to Christ or recommitted or confirmed your relationship with God, these special places for you in, our, in your life. Think about the place you were baptized. Some of you like Ashley's right out here a couple weeks ago. These places in our life have meaning. I think for me about the World Prayer Center up at New Life North, I spent hours in there praying. I think about the hill above our house, like behind our house, there's this hill. I've spent hours up there praying. And it's like, that's a holy place for me. And of course, God is everywhere. He is omnipresent. And yet place is important. And this Psalm teaches us to yearn and to long for those places, metaphorical places, spiritual places, these places where God is, where we have a connection with him. So it says that that our soul yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord. Think about faint, like you wanting something so bad you just faint. I've never seen this with my own eyes, but I've watched uh, videos of like girls going crazy for like little uh, like pop star singers. Think about in the 60s Beatlemania. I've seen clips of black and white footage of these girls, like the Beatles will come out in London somewhere and they'll just wave and there's like all these girls screaming. And I've seen with my own eyes like these videos of girls like, oh my gosh, it's the Beatles. And then they faint. Like, is that for real? Like, they get so excited you faint. But think about this. This psalm is saying that that there's this longing for the Lord, so much so that their heart yearns, the soul yearns and even faints for the courts of the Lord. That's pretty fascinating to me. If you think about our own lives, if we were to uh, follow you around for a couple days, 24 hours with like a little camera, that would be a horrible circumstance. If you followed me around and you're like, what does Joe yearn for? What does he really long for? I think you would look at my life and say, man, Joe really likes ice cream after the kids go to bed. Like that is a special time for me. My heart yearns, even faints for that. My heart yearns for things to be fixed. My kids are always breaking things. And when, like when, when something is fixed, like, oh, thank goodness, my heart yearns for that. My heart yearns for adventure on the weekends, like doing these little trips and things. Like, I love that. And this Psalm says that there's something even better than anything, something better than ice cream, a heart that is yearning for the courts of the Lord to be with the Lord. And it says that even these birds, the swallows, the sparrows have found homes near the temple. Think about in the ancient world, the temple must have been the biggest building anyone at that time saw in their lifetime, this huge building for the Lord. And imagine like little nooks and crannies within this building where birds have found a home. And the psalmist is singing about this saying, look at that. That's what my life, that's what I want to be like. A bird that has found a home with the Lord in the temple and they get to spend all this time with the Lord. That's where the action is. That's what our hearts long for. That's what they even faint for our desire should be upon God. If we don't desire the things of the world, our desire for the Lord will grow. Think about this. So, um, 
if, if you want your desire for the Lord to grow, I think if we ask that question, all of you would say, yeah, it's, it's, it's at some level, like I really want my, I want my desire for God to be increased. And how does that work? Well, the Bible teaches us throughout scripture that if you decrease your desire for the world, the things of this world, your desire for the Lord will grow. John 12, 25 puts it this way, just a simple statement, do not love your life or you will lose it. John the Baptist in the book of John chapter three says that he must increase and I must decrease. This is what John the Baptist says about Jesus. He wants God to increase and he wants his own self to decrease. A famous verse in 1 John two fifteen says, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in them. Listen to that statement. It doesn't say that if you love the world and you desire pleasures and, and seeking after things and, and going to, you know, having fun, it doesn't say that, that God doesn't love you, but it says that if you love the world, if you seek pleasure above God, well, then the love of the Father is not in you. Like what you love and what all of us, myself included here, when we get in thro- in, engaged in the pleasures of this world, the things of this world, squeezing as much Uh, pleasure out of it as we can, well, then our desire for heavenly things, the desire for the kingdom, desire for God diminishes. Instead, like the song for the old hymn that turn your eyes upon Jesus, it says, if you turn your eyes upon Jesus, the things of this world will grow strangely dim. If you think, think about that phrase, better is one day in your courts. This Psalm says better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Think about the desire this psalm teaches us for the Lord. The next point is this. Psalm 84 captures a life in pilgrimage. Captures a life in pilgrimage. Christians for years have been going to the Holy Land. Maybe some of you have been blessed to go to Israel. I've never been there myself. But Christians go there and see the sites, the places where Jesus has been. Many of you, I've talked to some of you, that have gone to conferences, Christian conferences, or other churches. I know this to be true because New Life in Colorado Springs, people come all the time to New Life. They'll come. I'm up at New Life North on Tuesdays, and especially throughout the summer, people will make a journey, a pilgrimage to new life and be like, so this is where you guys do church. This is, people will say, I've been listening to new life worship albums since I was a kid. Can you introduce me to John Egan? And it's like, yeah, sure. He's in the tent. Let's go see him. Oh my gosh. They make a pilgrimage to these, these people and this church where they have sensed that the Lord is. And people for Christians for hundreds and thousands of years have been doing this, making a way on pilgrimage. It's like, uh, when you're on your way home from a long road trip and you're almost there, we live our lives in this season, kind of waiting for something. A life in pilgrimage is how life is just kind of, this is where we are as people, kind of waiting for something and being fully present where we are in the waiting, like the song we sang. I think about uh, a road trip we were on years ago. My wife's family's from Minnesota, and it's like, uh, it should be like a 17-hour drive, but with kids, it's like a 30-hour drive. And we were coming back uh, from Minnesota in the minivan, and somewhere around, it's around Peyton, no, more like Lyman, about 80 miles out, you, you come across, if the day is just right, and the cloud, there's no clouds, and it's clear, from, from like Lyman, 80 miles away, you can see, Pikes Peak, and you're like, wow, 
That's where we're going. We're almost there. You still have an hour and a half from, from wherever, Lyman to Manitou Springs. And that hour and a half is like the worst part of the whole journey because the kids are screaming, are we there yet? And in your own mind, you're asking the same question. Why aren't we there? Are we there yet? It's right there. There's Pikes Peak. There's Manitou in the little valley there. Why aren't we there yet? We can spend our lives waiting for the next thing. I think about if, if we are only about getting there, then the ride there will be miserable. This psalm teaches us that there is pleasure. There is people who have set their hearts on pilgrimage, the longings of life. Maybe if you're a parent, the longings for a child to to come back, the the longings uh, for some of you wanting to become a parent and having kids, the longings and the waitings uh, of wanting a house of your own or the longings for healing in your life and your body. The human condition is such that we can always be waiting for the next thing. And I think our society teaches us like, they're like, don't, why would you be happy now? You know, you have a house, but you need a bigger house. Okay. You have a job, but you need a better job. I think our society teaches us that that we should always be discontent with where we are. And yet this Psalm teaches us to be there in the waiting, like the song that this, this prophetic song that we were singing, the word that Brett gave us this morning is that he is here. He is in the waiting. And this is where we are waiting and longing for something. And ultimately the soul is longing for God to be with him. Jesus said, I am the way. He is with us on the way. He isn't, he is the destination and he is with us on the way as well. And our life in the way on the way is with him. Last point this morning says God's people are able to make grief a place of springs. God's people what God is doing inside of us. With that, we are able to make even the place of grief a place of springs. Listen to verse five in this psalm. It says, blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. Pause and think about that. Blessed are those who are in pilgrimage. Think about that. Like those waiting to get there, wherever there is, there is a blessing for us on the way. And it says this, and we'll have to talk about what this valley is. It says, as they pass through the valley of Baca, or I've heard it pronounced Becca, it's a Hebrew word. As they pass through this valley, sometimes maybe in your Bible, it's translated the valley of weeping or the valley of grief. As they pass through this horrible place, this place of grieving, this place of crying, of weeping, they make it a place of springs. Do you see this in the text? Like the springs, who makes it the place of springs? They do. That's kind of interesting. Don't you think that's an interesting way of putting it? As they're passing through this dry, arid, horrible place, there's something to be said about this valley, that it's the valley of grieving. And there's a play on the Hebrew words here where a lot of scholars think that this must have been an actual valley where a horrible battle, uh, a raid happened. And as people go through it, they remember people dying. And it's a dry, horrible place. And for us, that's that we go through these places in our life. We go through dry, horrible places in our life. And yet those who are with God, they make it a place of springs. Think about that. Think about a life that is in grieving and them bringing out life of God, even in our own grief. I, I, uh, happened to pass by. I, I met with, uh, um, 
was in a coffee shop this uh, Thursday. Terry Bracken was there, and uh, and the mom of just happened. To, the mom of Micah, uh, uh, Micah Flick. Do you know him? He's the officer who was killed on February fifth in in our city, Colorado Springs. And his mom. She used to come to New Life Manitou. Her and her husband were prayer warriors, and then went to New Life North to be closer to family. It was a wonderful time for us as a church, and and the the growing and the planting of this church. And so I know her very well. And I just said, "How are you doing?" And she's so she's lost her son in February, a police officer. And, and she said, it's, it's been absolutely horrible. It's like a valley of death. It's like a valley of weeping. And every morning is especially hard thinking about him. And it's just, can you imagine losing uh, your son? I have four boys. I just can't imagine uh, a mom's grief for losing her own son, especially in the way that it happened in duty as a police officer. And yet, so she's, she's telling me how horrible it has been and, and rightfully so. And yet she was speaking truth and peace to me, asking me how I I was doing, encouraging me with scriptures, encouraging us about this church. I think about that. She is in the valley of weeping and she is there making it a place of springs. I'll tell you another story. Yesterday uh, was just a hard, long day. We, we, Erica and I, and some of you, I'm looking at a couple of your faces. We were at a funeral yesterday for Taylor White. He was a young man, 21 years old, and he was in a crosswalk and a car ran a red light and killed him. And then the car, it was a hit and run. Just horrible situation for a 21-year-old, died instantly on the spot. He was going to get married. Uh, his wedding was set for next Saturday, so six days from today. And so we were at his funeral and it was honoring to him, and there was tissues everywhere. People were crying. I saw a lot of young men, because he was on a wrestling team. He was into sports. I saw a lot of his friends just absolutely weeping, and here they are in a valley of weeping, and his fiance uh, gets on the stage. Her name is Sarah, and it was this beautiful moment where through tears, and rightfully so, you know, her fiance, this husband-to-be, died to three weeks before their wedding. She is speaking life and truth about God. She said that, that, that love is as strong as death. Imagine this being said. You weren't there. For those of you that weren't there, it was like she, here she is in, in the height of you know, her love life getting married in just a couple days. Her husband-to-be is taken from her, and yet she says, love is as strong as death because of, and she starts talking about the cross and Jesus dying on the cross. Here she is in this room at New Life, making this valley of weeping, this valley of horrible things that have gone wrong. She's making it a place of springs. And I pray this over our church, that as we started New Life Manitou, we've been meeting weekly now for a, a year and a couple months. This verse in our hearts, this verse that we started off with, Isaiah 41, this reminder that when there is poor and needy in search of water, some of you that have been around Manitou, we, we know this verse by heart because it says that when there are those who are thirsty, and it's a metaphorical thirstiness that only Jesus can fulfill, when there are thirsty, when there's poor and needy, the Lord will come and he will open up springs in the valleys. And we've taken this verse because Manitou is the city of springs and there's Fountain Creek running 100 yards just down there. And we see it's a dry place. If you go up from the waters, it's a dry place. And yet there are springs here in Manitou and a creek running through. And this church, we pray, would be the true healing waters of Manitou Springs that Jesus inside of us would give us life.
So in conclusion, there is a life that is desiring God. Life will come out of you when we desire God. It says in here, this scripture says, Psalm 84, blessed are those whose strength is in God, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. Blessed are those who dwell in God's house. They are ever praising you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you. Would you bow your head with me this morning? As we consider this psalm, as we consider a life in desire for God and the things of God, Lord, we come before you and we pray to you now, Lord. Would you fill us with desire for yourself? Would you make this world a place of springs all around us? Because, Lord, you are doing something inside of us. Lord, we pray over Wednesday night that, that, that those of us who come to desire you, those of us who come to fill your house with worship, Lord, we will be ever praising you. Our strength would be in you. And Lord, we even ask that, that you, we, as we go from strength to strength, strength to strength, that we will appear before you and you will bless us from the inside out with these springs of water that you will fill us, Lord, and our desire will be for you. We pray this in your name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Congregation, would you stand with me? We're going to say together this prayer that we do on Sunday mornings. It's, it's become our tradition. Sometimes we say other prayers, but this prayer leads us into confession. This prayer leads us into worship. It leads us to the table of communion. So would you join me with me in not just saying, but praying these words? Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. Truly sorry, and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we might delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name, amen.